We are in the season of Easter. And the story of Easter didn't begin on the hill of Calvary where Jesus was crucified, but in the garden in the beginning of time. We've just finished a six-week series on the book of Genesis. This is the first book in the Bible. And what we found is that the Bible starts in a garden, in the Garden of Eden. And in this garden, there was perfect relationship between Adam and Eve, between humanity and creation, and between humanity and God. God would walk in the cool of the afternoon with Adam and Eve. That's how close this relationship was. This is how perfect that relationship was with Adam and Eve and God. They used to commune together. Then something happened. Something changed. Something destroyed this perfect garden and this perfect relationship between humanity, creation and God. And that something was sin. And we fast forward thousands of years and we find Jesus in the garden, in a garden, on the night he was, about, he was betrayed and he was about to be crucified. And the full weight of sin is starting to bear down on Jesus and he kneels and cries out to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Jesus fell to his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. We thank you for Good Friday, God, even though that seems weird to say because you suffered a painful death for the sin of the entire world. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach your word with truth, with grace, and with love, God. But Lord, that they would not look to me, but they would only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Being Good Friday and the day that Jesus died for our sin, I have to confess. I have to confess to the church. I transgressed one of God's laws. I broke one of God's Ten Commandments. And the commandment that I broke was, thou shalt not murder. Now, there is a difference between murder and self-defense. Murder is when you actually sit down and you plan out what you're going to do. And then you carry that out. And that's what I did. I systematically sat down in my house and I planned how I was going to carry this act out. And then on my day off, I went out the backyard and I proceeded to kill and murder every single tree in my backyard. I ripped out every single tree, every single plant like this. I pulled them all out. And I was in such a frenzy, I went out the front and I did exactly the same thing. I ripped all of them out and I murdered every single one of them. Why did I do that? Because I hate gardening. I just hate gardening, right? I was sitting in my house one day, and I'm looking out my garden, and it was overgrown and dying. It was horrible. I'm sitting there going, man, I don't want to go out there and, and deal with this. If I didn't have a garden, I would never have to garden again. And that's when the idea dropped. I thought, if I just rip it all out, I'll never have to garden ever again in my whole life. I thought in that moment I was the smartest man on the face of the entire earth. I thought, this is amazing. So that's what I did. I ripped it out. And you know what? My life has been bliss ever since. It's been amazing. Who here loves gardening? I don't get you people. Seriously, I don't get you people. But you know what? Even though I hate gardening, I know when a garden's not healthy. I know when a tree's not healthy. How do you tell if a tree or a garden is healthy? It's by what it produces, right? I may not like gardening, but I know when I see a healthy tree or not. 
Take an orange tree for an example. If you have an orange tree and there are oranges on the tree that are all rotten, what does that tell you about the tree? It's not the fruit's not the problem. It's the tree that produces the fruit that is unhealthy. Jesus says in Matthew 7, You will know a tree by its fruit. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? No. Or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. What Jesus is talking about here is you can tell if someone is a follower of Jesus by the fruit that's produced in their life. And I love the way Jesus contrasts a good tree and a bad tree and what each one produces. And the question is to us, what tree are we a branch of? Are we a part of the worldly tree and producing its fruit? Or are we connected to the tree of life? Are we connected to Jesus? Because what Jesus is telling us here is that they produce two totally different things. You see, a bad tree will only produce bad fruit and a good tree will produce good fruits. So how do you know what tree you're connected to? By what fruit you're producing. So the question is, does sin produce good or bad fruit? You know, if we looked at the world, if we looked at the state of our world and and we imagine it as a tree, what would it look like? Would it look like this? Would it be luscious and full of flowers and amazing, delicious fruit, really healthy? Or would it look more like this? Dying, decaying, rotten fruit, dry and desolate. You see, when we look at the world that we live in, we see so much death and destruction and pain and suffering. And it seems no matter how much we try and fix it, it just keeps descending into sin and into chaos. And no matter how much we dress it up with consumerism, like a new house, new car, nice new clothes, the newest tech, you only have to scratch the surface slightly to see that not everything is as it seems. The fruit the world is producing is depression and anxiety and fear and loneliness and envy and malice and ungratefulness and unforgiveness and bitterness and violence. And the more we indulge in this worldly rotten fruit, the sicker we get. Not only physically, but mentally, emotionally and spiritually. So how does the world solve this problem? How do we solve it? Well, we look to material things, right? to make us happy. We look to buy stuff. We look for status or fame or accomplishment to find our worth and value. But when we look at history, we realize that we've never been able to solve the problem of sin. The problem of sin that affects humanity and the entire world merely by trying to fix the fruit. So simply look at the history books. There's a constant repetition of wars, of destruction, of pain and suffering, a constant fight between good and evil, what's right and wrong. And not only that, we see the constant decline in creation where humanity is reaping the earth of its natural resources for human advancement without thinking about the effects it has on the environment long term. And when we read the entire Bible, we see this constant battle between the sinful nature and that that directs us and keeps us in this cycle of sin, decade after decade, century after century, and millennium after millennium. Ecclesiastes says in one nine says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. You see, the Bible testifies this is the cycle of sin. And we clearly see that in the history books, that we have no way of defeating sin in ourselves or in the world. Sin's like weeds in the garden, right? Who loves weeds? Nobody. We all hate it, right? They just keep coming. You rip one out and another one grows up. We think if we rid ourselves of evil people or situations, we're all good. But then we turn on the TV 
And we find there's a long line of others willing to line up and take their place. And the reality of our sinful nature hits home. And if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that this sinful nature is in us too. And no matter what we do, we can't seem to hide it behind health, wealth and prosperity. Because it's in us, it affects us on a deeper level. So how do you fix a tree producing rotten fruit? Well, you don't start with the fruit, right? You don't get the fruit and put some makeup on it and make it look nice. You need to start with the tree because it's a tree that produces the fruit. It's the same with humanity. What do we do if our lives are only producing hurt and brokenness? Well, we don't start with the actions. We start with our heart. And deep down in the human heart, we know there's something wrong, right? We know there's something wrong with us that we don't live in a way that our conscience is telling us how to live. And this is because we are created, humanity is created in the image of God and we're created to love one another. But sin distorts this image of God in us and we turn inward and sin directs our actions then. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this cycle of sin we find ourselves in? What does this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus have to offer us? Well, what we see in the Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus preparing to take upon himself the problem of sin. This problem of sin that started way back in the Garden of Eden, this sin that has plagued humanity ever since, Jesus is now face to face with the reality and the weight of sin. And here's the thing. Jesus knows that sin, the judgment for sin, is total separation from God and death. And the weight of this sin of the entire world is now being placed on him and it's becoming unbearable. And we read in Matthew 26, verse 36, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know, we often read this passage and we don't read the depths of what's happening here because we know the end of the story, right? We know that Jesus rises again. But we need to look at this story and look at this passage and say, what is going on here? Do we understand that Jesus' soul, the soul of the Son of God, the soul of the most powerful person to ever walk the face of the earth, the soul of God himself is becoming overwhelmed? Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Do we know the depths and weight of our sin? Do we know the effects sin has on our soul? Do we know that our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. You know, our sin brings death to our soul. It brings death to the world. It brings death into our relationships. It brings death into every situation of our lives. And in this moment, Jesus feeling the full weight of your sin and my sin. Jesus is now experiencing how much sin affects humanity's relationship with God and it is crushing his heart and his soul. Jesus then cries out to the Father in verse 39. It says, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What's Jesus asking here? 
He's asking the Father to take away the weight and the penalty of sin. He's asking the Father to not have to go to the cross. He's asking the Father to not have to drink the wrath of God because of sin. Jesus asked the Father if it is possible. Well, of course it's possible, right? Like In a sense, everything is possible with God. There are verses about that, right? Like God can do anything. But this is only true in a sense. Because there are things that are morally impossible for God. Because God can't lie. God can't sin. God can't go against his character and his nature because he is perfect and holy. So there are things that God can't do. And because God is holy, it is morally impossible for God to let sin go unpunished. Someone has to take the punishment for sin. And there was only one way to redeem lost humanity, and that was the perfect wrath-satisfying sacrifice that Jesus was preparing himself to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus asked, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, was God not listening? Did God not grant his request? Well, no, God grants all of Jesus' requests because he always prays in line with the Father's will. And since we know that Jesus drank the cup of judgment on the cross, we know it's not possible for salvation to come any other way. Salvation by Jesus' death on the cross is the only possible way. If there was any other way to be made right before God, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. It's only in and through Jesus Christ that we receive forgiveness of sins. And it's interesting because after praying that prayer in verse 40, he returns. He then returns to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus returns to his disciples and they're asleep. They don't understand the gravity of what's taking place here. They don't understand the depths of their sin. They don't understand what Jesus is feeling right now is because of their sin. They're blind to it. They're asleep spiritually to their sin and their temptation of sin. Do we know there's this battle between the spirit and the flesh? And they're oblivious to this battle. Paul talks about it in the New Testament. He says, don't, he says, be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't be led by your fleshly nature. Don't be led by your fleshly desires to get even, to get what you want. Be led by the Spirit. And we see here Jesus saying to them, your spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what? We're the same. We don't understand the gravity of our sin and the reality that sin has dominated our thoughts and actions and that sin separates us from a holy God. And you know what? There is a whole world out there asleep to their sin. A whole world that doesn't recognize that they're sinners and they're in desperate need of a saviour and we live our lives thinking that we're inherently good and sin has no effects in our lives or our souls or our eternal destination. But the truth is, sin does affect our souls. Sin does affect our eternal destination. And humanity, by and large, is asleep to that. They're asleep to the judgment of sin. Verse 42 says, Then Jesus went away a second time. He says, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You see, Jesus, in this moment, he makes the decision to drink the cup of the wrath of God, to take the punishment of sin upon himself. And we see this is in stark contrast to the failure of Adam and Eve in the perfect Garden of Eden. You see, Adam and Eve are living in this perfection, and when they were put to the test, they disobeyed God. Even though everything was perfect, 
They had the perfect life, perfect relationship with God. They still didn't trust God. And when they sinned, Adam essentially said, not your will, God, but mine be done. And thus sin and death entered into the garden. But here we see Jesus in the imperfect garden, in a world dominated by sin. And that sin is placed on Jesus, the only one to live a sinless life in perfect relationship with the Father. And Jesus here is experienced physically, spiritually and emotionally their fixed sin now has with his relationship with the Father. But instead of not trusting God in that moment, Jesus takes on the sin of the world, looks towards the cross and says, not my will, but your will be done. In full obedience and trust in the Father. Romans 5.19 says, For by one man, that's Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man, Jesus' obedience, many were made righteous. Sin enters the world through one man, but then righteousness and forgiveness of sins and eternal life comes through one man, Jesus Christ. So death entered the world through Adam, but forgiveness of sin comes through Jesus. This is the gospel, right? And you go, doesn't gospel mean good news? You're talking about sin. Yes, absolutely, because this is the first step that we need to understand that we are all sinners. That there is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And when we stand before a holy and righteous God, we have sin. But here's the good news. That Jesus himself, God, didn't let us be left in our sin, that we would face the wrath of God. But he came himself and he nailed himself to the cross, taking on the sin of the entire world. And when he said, it is finished... It is finished. Because he defeated sin in that moment. He took it to the grave. And when he rose again on the third day, which we will celebrate in two days' time, he rose again in victory over sin and death, that whoever puts their faith in Jesus has eternal life. This is the gospel. Romans 6.23 starts with the problem. For the wages of sin is death, but it finishes with the solution. It finishes with the answer, and it's beautiful. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. But the gift of God is given to us through Jesus because he was willing to take on the punishment of sin for you and me. Because he was willing to drink the cup of the wrath of God and take the punishment of sin upon himself. Because Jesus was willing to be obedient to the Father even to the point of death. We receive forgiveness of sin because Jesus paid the penalty of sin. That was your death penalty. You see, Jesus steps into our situation. He steps into the problem of sin that we couldn't fix. Our sin that's plagued humanity from the beginning of the Garden of Eden. Our sin that we could not defeat. Jesus defeats the problem of sin on the cross for all of humanity, for all of time. And forgiveness of sin becomes a free gift to all that repent and believe. It's a free gift. Why? Why was Jesus willing to suffer for you? Why was Jesus willing to take on the full weight of sin? Why was Jesus willing to be crushed physically and spiritually? Why was Jesus willing to be nailed to a tree and die a gruesome death? Love. Love for you. Love for me. You know, guys, we can't earn God's love. We can't earn forgiveness. You can only receive it as a free gift. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that He gave, He gave us the gift of His Son, that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. For God so loved David. For God so loved John. 
For God so loved Joe. For God so loved Georgie. For God so loved Scott. That he gave his life for us. That we would have forgiveness of sin. You have to receive the free gift of salvation. So the question is, have you received the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins through death, through Jesus' death on the cross for you? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Are you connected to the tree of this world and producing its fruit, or are you going to be connected to the tree of life who brings life and life to the full? You see, in the garden, sin was the problem that led to death, but in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is the answer to life and life eternal. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you in awe and wonder of the majesty of your power and your love. God, would you open our eyes spiritually to what happened on the cross? Lord, that you were willing to suffer the pain you are in to take on the sin, my sin, our sin, that we would be set free from the judgment. God, help us see you fresh today. When we look at the cross and the horror of the cross, help us see your love, your mercy, and your grace, and let that transform our heart, God. That we would be willing to share that good news with the dying world. And as we're in this time of prayer, you might be sitting there and you've never received that free gift. You didn't know it was a free gift. You might be sitting there going, yeah, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. God's hands out today. He's reaching out to you. He says, I want a relationship with you. I've done everything that needs to be done to deal with the problem of sin. I'm asking you to come into relationship with me now. So if that's you, you can just simply lay your hands out. Receiving as a gift, to receive a gift, you put your hands out. Just put your hands out to receive God's gift. And pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. I believe you love me. I believe that love gives gifts. And I believe that Jesus died in my place. And Lord, I believe he rose again to give me life and life eternal. Heavenly Father, I ask for the gift of salvation and your Holy Spirit that I would now be a son or a daughter of you, Lord. Come Holy Spirit, would you just have your way with us right now? Would they sense and know your presence, Lord? May they sense and know your love washing over them right now, that your blood has washed them clean from their sin. May that weight just fall from them, Lord, because you carried that weight. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we come. And we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus that all those that put their faith and trust in Christ are sons and daughters of God. And God is a loving Father. And we come and we celebrate communion together. Because you, because I, we're all in the same boat. 
We're all saved by grace and the love of God. And because Jesus drank the wrath, the cup of the wrath of God, we don't have to drink it. And when we come and we share, this is a meal of celebration, a meal of thanksgiving, a meal of remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he picked up the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so let's take of the bread. And when we take of the bread, we remember that Jesus came in the flesh. He came as fully human and fully God. He didn't leave us in our mess and our problem of sin, but chose to come in the flesh. So let's take and eat together in remembrance of Jesus. And when he went to the cross, he shed his blood. It's by his blood that we are cleansed from our sin. So take and let's drink this together. This is Jesus' blood shed for you and shed for me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can share this meal together. On such a solemn day as today, that you were willing to bear the sin of the world. Not only for us, but for those people out there that don't know you yet. God, may your love flow in and through us, that the people would see you in our eyes, would hear you in our words, would sense your spirit on and through us and turn to you and put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, as we come to your table, as we drink, and we remember that you have forgiven us of all of our sins, God, we confess. I, myself, and we have sinned in word, thought, deed, action, and inaction, God. God, forgive us of our sin. And Lord, as we come and we take of this meal, it's because you forgave us first. You've forgiven us of all of our sin. Lord, in this moment, would you reveal to us if there's any bitterness or unforgiveness in our heart? If we have that towards anyone, convict us, Holy Spirit. And in this moment, Lord, we forgive as you forgave us. Lord, we release them from death. We release them from getting even or getting vengeance, Lord. Because you've forgiven us, we forgive. Lord, help our hearts live in a way that is in line with your heart. Of love, of mercy, and of grace. And all God's people said, Amen.